That was Scal yesterday. Not reacting to the Celtics, reacting to Mego's shooting form. No. Which I know, Mego, you were hoping we'd go a day without bringing that up. But oh. Hold on, I'm adjusting my chair over here because Fourier sits like a munchkin. Are you doing a leg kick into the chair like yeah, you shot? Is that, what, is that what it is? I just uh, pushed it up and now it's going back down. So look, I, I, I didn't want to bring up the shooting. Scal did it. Ryan did it. And of course, I mean, we're talking to Tom Curran later today. It's probably going to come up. That's fine. Curran has already texted me multiple times about my strategy. Like, when I went home that night, I was I had gotten over it. I was having pizza. And no no lie, at like 8.30 p.m., Curran texts me, still don't know why you didn't start with the layups. I'm like, like, dude. You're like, I'm shame I'm eating. Tra- I'm, I'm shame eating right now. Could you, could you not pile on? What are we doing I'm here? We're an hour without so we'll talk to Tom Curran about 90 minutes from now. We'll start off talking Celtics. They got a win last night, 115-93, to over a bad Portland Trailblazers team. That's a team that gave up at the deadline. It's Damian Lillard, who is spectacular, and nobody else on that team these days. Are we feeling any better about the Celtics after the victory, Mego? I'm feeling slightly better. As you put it, you can't measure it with too much grandiosity because it's the Trailblazers. They're 12th in the West, and they're really bad outside of Damian Lillard, and they look like they gave up halfway through the game. But it was a nice little cushion that I think you needed before going on this road trip that seemingly is going to bring everybody back together. And I think it was a good game for Jason Tatum. He shot much better. Um, I thought that, strangely, Brogdon did not shoot well. Oh, he shot. He shot horrendously. Yeah, he, he that which is disappointing. Um, Marcus Smart, I thought, looked better and looked more kind of in the zone that he should be in, particularly offensively. Only taking four shots overall. Mm-hmm. You have to like that, right? I do like that. You have I to mean, applaud that. I think some of that was he only played twenty two minutes because he was in foul trouble. But yes, that did that did limit uh, his shot total last night. But his shot I, total I mean, was you not know you know because outstanding. Because I wrote for WEI last night. I went to the game last night and I wrote off of it what my big takeaway was. But if we're talking about how I'm feeling about the Celtics today, I'm feeling slightly better. Are we feeling, feeling slightly better? Are we feeling any better, Arkan? Does does beating the Trailblazers does that alleviate any fears? We were talking about our panic meter and something's wrong with the team. Are we feeling better after last night? No, not yet. Um the Celtics do have a pretty soft part of the schedule coming up here. I know they have a road trip, but it's a lot of teams that aren't very good outside of the Sacramento Kings. I think almost all these teams are either under 500 or lottery bound. And, uh, you know, that, that should be, this should be a nice win streak here. That's when I'll start feeling better about the Celtics when they put a, when they pull off a win streak over these bad teams, because some of these losses that they've had lately haven't necessarily Brooklyn. I mean, that's not a good team uh, right now that that's a team that they should. And in the past, Orlando and other teams have given them trouble. So, so I'm not going to start feeling better yet. I'll feel better when they get back from this road trip and they've won like six out of seven. See, I'm happy you bring that up about the road trip because everybody's like, oh, six games. I was watching on NBC Sports Boston last night. It's 8,000 miles round trip. Oh, no. It's Atlanta, Houston, Minnesota, Portland, who sucks, Utah, and then Sacramento is a legit team at the end. But even still, the Celtics destroyed them when they played them earlier this year. They should clean up on this road trip. And until they do, I'm not feeling a heck of a lot better either. I guess incrementally, I'll take it down on the panic meter a notch or two because they won. And if they would have lost last night and blown another double-digit lead, and don't pretend like you weren't thinking it, when they went up 12, 14, 15, 20 early in the game, I'm like, how long till they blow this thing? 
And the Blazers went on a few mini runs to get it down to 12, 13, something like that. But the Celtics put them away. So maybe I feel incrementally better, but they still need to do more. And the road trip will be a big test because it's a bunch of crappy teams. I agree. You got to be mentally tough on the road. Can you gut it out against bad teams? You should be able to do that. A championship team should be able to do that. They did it last night at home when they had to do it. Can they do it on this trip? Are you feeling better about the Celtics today? 617-779-7937. On top of that, we have this weird Grant Williams thing going on. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Grant Williams here from the Boston Celtics. We've been talking about it. Uh, It was very noticeable when he was benched last week against Cleveland. You know, it was obviously notable when he was benched for stretches of overtime after missing those two free throws against the the Cavaliers in the rematch where Donovan Mitchell told him, ah, you're probably going to miss one. He said, I'm making both. My heart goes out to him. And they wound up losing. Your heart should. Uh, And I I do understand your compassion on that one. Uh, But what's going on with Grant Williams? Mego, you were there last night. You wrote about it at WEEI.com. What's going on with Grant? So from the jump, this was something I was going to have my eye on because I feel like it's been this story that's creeping around the corners of the team right now. And at the very beginning of the season, I approached this team thinking about Grant Williams in kind of a different space than he was in the playoffs last year. I think Grant Williams got thrown under the bus a lot last year for how much he chirps to his to the refs, how much he says to his teammates, hey, don't worry about Draymond Green. I'm going to take care of him. And everybody's like, shut up, Grant. I'm Batman. Exactly. That sort of stuff. But then yeah. at the beginning of the season when things were going really well, I thought Grant is a little brother on this team and he plays an important piece chemistry-wise where I think – it brings some balance to guys like Tatum, guys like Jalen Brown, where they can kind of just dunk on him and he's willing to be the butt of every joke. Yep. And it was a nice thing going for a while. Now it's gotten hinky. Now it's gotten weird because there's something going on with Grant where whether it's just he's not getting up to the gameplay that he needs to, um, he's running his mouth on national TV and embarrassing himself by popping off on Donovan Mitchell, then missing the shots. But I thought that sitting for three quarters yesterday, having Blake Griffin eat your minutes halfway into the first and stay in and actually do well in those lineups, granted against the Portland Trailblazers, it was really telling. And then what Missoula said after the game and what the other Celtics who talked said after the game about Blake Griffin going in for uh, Grant Williams' time early in the game, I thought was fascinating. Well, let's me. let's hear that because Blake Griffin goes in before Grant. Grant only plays in the fourth quarter. I think he played the entire fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, which is a slap in the face. It would have been better to not play, in my estimation. Then you could turn around and say he wasn't feeling right, he's injured, blah, blah, blah. This was a message from Missoula, I think, by playing him in garbage time and playing Blake Griffin over him. Here's what Missoula said when asked about Blake Griffin after the game. You went with... Uh... Blake has the big off the bench primarily tonight. What uh, what led to that decision, and what did you uh, see out of him? Uh, Blake just is a professional, brings a lot of experience. I think um, he helps us force turnovers with his activity, his hand activity, uh, his ability to take charges, his overall communication, and I think he does a great job on the offensive end of screening and getting the ball where it needs to get to. And so, you know, I think as we come down the stretch, it's important uh, to really just rely on his experience, and he's been such a professional for it. And Um, You know, he's somebody that we're going to need. Two times. He says Blake Griffin is a professional, which means Grant Williams isn't acting professional, right? There's no other way to take that. Look, the question was specifically why the decision to go with Blake Griffin over Grant Williams early. So when you answer twice that Blake Griffin is a professional, that he's professional, 
I don't want to hear about Grant Williams' elbow strain because he hasn't been on the injury list at all. He hasn't been on the injury report once since the All-Star break. So it's you can't sit there and say, well, maybe they're just managing his elbow. He's not on the injury report. Maybe I didn't hear anything about matchups. Last time it was a DNP less than a week ago, it was a matchup-based decision. I think this is pretty clear-cut. So Jared Weiss, and you alluded to injury, Jared Weiss wrote yesterday that since he's donned a sleeve February 12th against Memphis, Williams has been struggling with a ligament strain in his shooting elbow exacerbated by inflammation in the surrounding muscle. And we talked about this uh, during the show yesterday. That's according to league sources with knowledge of the situation. That's what they told The Athletic and Jared Weiss. They were granted anonymity because they weren't authorized to speak on the record. Grant had to stop lifting heavy weights for several weeks, though he returned to his normal routine before re-aggravating the injury in practice before Sunday's loss to the Knicks when he played 45 minutes. According to those sources throughout the injury, Williams has experienced discomfort turning or grabbing with his hand. Again, if he doesn't play in the fourth quarter, I buy that more that he's actually hurt. He played in the fourth quarter, which means it's a coach's decision. This is rotational. He's choosing to play Blake Griffin over Grant Williams. You can't tell me that's a functional thing on this team. It's dysfunctional is what it is. And Mego, you pointed this out to me. Not only did Joe Missoula throw him under the bus by saying he's not professional, he's not professional, he's not professional, uh, by saying Blake Griffin is. What did Al Horford, the elder statesman on the Celtics, right? Fans like to prop up Al Horford. Elder statesman, good veteran. Al Horford pushed back on Joe Missoula and his commentary indirectly on Grant Williams. You know, the biggest thing is... Um um, for you know, for for him to continue to work and, and stay ready and do the things that he he needs to do, um, and he's been great at that. Um, you know, Grant has been very professional, um, very positive, um, and uh, and when he's getting these opportunities, he's making the most of them, and um, and, and and you know, it's uh, it's something that as a team we're just rallying together, and and um, and at the end of the day, just. Uh, all we're worried about is, you know, continuing to get wins and continuing to play the right way. So he is professional, according to Al Horford. Is he making the most of his opportunities? I saw him miss two free throws in a pretty big spot with one of those opportunities. Well, recently. fair. Like, has he been playing well lately? Okay. I don't, I don't know about that. No, his numbers have dropped a little bit, but still, overall on the year, it's not like he's shooting poorly. He's shooting on the year. He's sure. shooting forty percent from three, eighty percent from the line, forty-five percent from the floor. He's largely been the same player that he was a year ago. He's averaging more rebounds and points than he ever has in his career. So, look, I. I I said I blamed him for the loss the other day. How could you not with the missed free throws? I'm in a weird spot defending Grant, but he should be in the rotation. Of course he should be in the rotation. And this goes back to what I've been talking about now for a few days. Something's off. Something's dysfunctional. It reminds me of the 18-19 Celtics, the final Kyrie year here in Boston, where guys are now kind of arguing with Missoula over various things. Jalen's been sniping at him about shot selection. Al Horford is sniping back at him, intentionally or not, about Grant being a professional. Blake is a professional. Grant has been very professional. <laughs> I mean, what more do you need to hear? There's something so off. Dumb. There's something off, and that's why I don't feel a lot better after the win. I should feel better. They won. They won going away. They rested guys in the fourth quarter. That's why I don't, because that thing is still there. The Grant Williams thing, I think, is just not the biggest deal in the world that your, your coach is having it out with your seventh or eighth man. But it's just indicative of how the Celtics are off right now, and the players in Missoula feel like they are sneaky at war. Grant has been very professional. Blake is a professional. Blake also by, and this is something that I think you observed when you've gone to the games, Arcan. Blake is like a totally 
go-along to get-along guy at this point in his career. Like, everybody likes him. He's a rah-rah veteran guy, like locker room force and everything. So aren't you also making a statement when you're putting him in halfway through the first quarter instead of Grant saying like, hey, sometimes it's better to go with the guy who will go along to get along than the guy who's being an active pain in my rear end. I mean, look, I, as I, I'm sure Grant Williams is a pain in the rear end. It's part of the reason why I haven't been on the, the, the Grant Williams bandwagon for years now. And I think the Celtics have this colossal problem of guys not understanding their role and guys thinking they're better than they are. And Grant is a big, big offender when it comes to that. He should still be in the rotation. And he better be back in the rotation soon. How you feeling about the Celtics? You feel better after the win last night? What's going on with Grant Williams? And is it a symptom of what's been off with this team for the last couple of weeks? Maybe even the last couple of months. 617-779-7937. We'll discuss more of that coming up. And I do want to get into the Celtics and whether their frustration is showing. Jason Tatum, Joe Mazzula, they both talked after the game. I think frustration is showing with each of those two. We'll get to that right after Trending with Christian Arkin. This is Jones and Mega on WEEI. WEEI. Jason, the other night in Cleveland, talking to the guys, they said there was a real sense of urgency coming into this game. What do you like about the way you guys responded? Yeah, I think, you know, we were in a situation where we was up 15 or so in the second, um, and we kept that lead, right? You know, we haven't done that lately. Um, and even in the third quarter, starting off well, pushing the lead out, and not letting them back in the game. Um, you know, something we struggled with, obviously, the last couple of games. And uh, we're about to go on a long road trip, so we're going to come, come here Get a good win before we uh, go on the road. Jason Tatum with Abby after the game on NBC Sports Boston. Is that relief or is that frustration from the Celtics? Like I heard a lot of different C's players talking about finally putting away a team. Is that relief or is it frustration that they keep yeah. letting off the rope? 617-779-7937. My, my answer is it sounds a little like frustration from Tatum. How so? I don't think he totally blames himself for blowing all those leads. Case in point, he wasn't in the last game against Cleveland. So I think some of that is, well, guys, I'm out here mostly doing my job, although he's been in a big shooting slump. I'm out here mostly doing my job, and I don't know, when I sub out of games or when I'm off the floor, when I'm not out there, in Cleveland against the Cavaliers, we're still blowing these leads. I feel like it's it's frustrating, and it should be frustrating for this team, that they keep blowing the leads. Maybe he lumps himself in with that group, but I read into it less like, ah, whew, we finally did it, and more, I can't believe it went on this long. Thank God it didn't happen again. It shouldn't be happening. I heard a little relief from Al Horford post game. He called this win like a breath of fresh air or mm -hmm. something like that. Even when he said it in the moment, he was like, I don't really like the way that came out. But Jason Tatum, I wouldn't read it as frustration as much as I hear it as nonchalance. He's kind of like well, that's it's how the he carries Blazers. Himself. Yeah, but especially nonchalance. Kind of like, to me it feels like he's still in the same place he was before the game. Fresh your breath in. <laughs> where it's like <laughs> it didn't come out like that but where he is seems to be in the same mindset as the three games before of like uh it still doesn't feel good for us being in the number two seed right now and being in tight contention with these other teams and you know one of the things that they talked about post game a lot that I thought was interesting was this emphasis on transition defense transition defense the transition defense was so much better part of that was because our offense was better I wonder if there is a part of this team that feels like they kind of want to go back to what worked last season 
Like, I don't think many NBA teams are going to get super hyped up about, hey, we're going to be, play- be playing really tough defense. You know, it's not the most fun style of play. But when you start losing your footing the way that they have as of late, it probably is a little bit of, hey, why don't we go back to what worked for us? Yeah. Like, really worked for us at this time last year. I took the commentary on their transition defense as just because you miss shots at one end of the floor, don't let it affect you at the other. Don't hang your head. But it could be some of wanting to get back to how they played defensively. And Forsberg wrote about this last night before the game. So some of these numbers are are off by a game now. And if you want to weigh in on your uh, concerns with the Celtics, are they done now? I mean, they lost three in a row. They kept blowing double-digit leads. They beat a horrible Blazers team. Are you done? Are you not concerned anymore? 617-779-7937. I would not put myself in that camp. Uh, Forsberg wrote, this isn't a new problem for the Celtics. Since starting the year on a historic offensive pace, and remember, the way they started the year, it was historic. It's like the Golden State Warriors, the Nets from a few years ago with Harden and Kyrie and Durant. The Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, and the Celtics. Celtics, I mean, it was like this ridiculous pace that rationally, it's the same way I feel about Allmark. It's like, rationally, I know this just can't continue. Can't keep Hockey Jones out of the conversation. But it it did for like 25 games, you know, and Allmark's been like 35 games or whatever it is, meaning like appearances for him. Uh, they've been a middling bunch since, Forsberg writes. Since December 10th, a visit to Golden State, a 40-game stretch that offers half the season's worth of data, Boston ranks 18th in the NBA in both offensive efficiency, 114.3, and true shooting percentage, 58.2. So just worry about the ranks, 18th. Boston's defensive rating, meanwhile, since February 10th, is 16th in the NBA. It's even worse since the All-Star break, 18th. Too long, didn't read. They're not playing very well on either side of the basketball. And I do look at Golden State. That was a big game. Like, that was a big game on the schedule. It's your first look at Golden State since the NBA Finals. And the Celtics lost. And the Celtics offense that had been all world was thrown off by Golden State. And since then, it hasn't been the same. So, I said this at the time. The Warriors broke them. Like, the Warriors <laughs> broke them then is how it felt. And now, 40 games later, the Warriors kind of broke them. It's kind of what happened. Offensively, they've not been the same they do have a weird thing with the Warriors and every time that they're asked about it in terms of the regular season and regular season games they're kind of like no 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 this isn't this doesn't have anything to do with the finals or anything like that but I do think that there's a mental block there and it to me it has more to do with just getting off to a hot start and burning out not saying that they're burning out physically but like they're just playing over their heads they weren't as good as that record showed Arkan do you think I'm off no I don't think you're off at all I think that there was a lot of carryover from last year, and there was a lot of, I think, just kind of confidence and swagger that this team had, uh, even though they lost in the finals, which at that point in the in the season worked in their favor. They're sort of, and they've always had this. I feel like this Celtics group in particular has always had this weird kind of delusion where even if you lose in the playoffs or even if you lose in the finals, you can carry yourself like you won the whole thing and right. do interviews like you won the whole thing and act like you're the champion or whatever. And starting the year, it's like they were doing that and they were playing that way. They were playing like champs. They were playing like they won and they were protecting their uh, their championship and now they're kind of just playing like yeah we don't have to even we don't have to even go that hard to win the championship this year and it's like I feel like they're so hip deep in this thing that I don't know if they can get out of it now see I felt like the way that they started the year and particularly Tatum it was like the revenge tour of like such shame embarrassment of effing up the finals the way he did they all dwelled on it all summer, the way that they talked about it and everything. And then they kind of wanted to put their money where their mouth is when they came out and played. And I think that's just a hard thing to well, sustain until you get back to the playoffs. Now you're at the point in the season where it's like, 
when is this going to start to really, really matter? Well, I know people don't like when I say this, and I wasn't right about the Bruins, but I brought it up about the Celtics earlier this year, too. There is such a thing as peaking too early. And, like, they could have used a little more adversity earlier on in the year. Like well, they're a cu- getting it now. Uh, well, they are getting it now. Can they get back to where they were? Like, I- I'm not so sure. And so, did they peak too early? Were things too easy early? And now it's hard to go back and get to the fundamentals on offense or whatever you thought you were going to do this season going into it. It just all clicked so easily. There was no adversity. You didn't have to try. Now you have to try. Now you have to ratchet things back up. And everybody else has already gone through adversity, and they're better for it. And the Celtics are going through adversity, and now they're looking at each other going, what the hell's wrong with us? It's why the Grant Williams thing to me is important. One text here at 37937. They go, why are we talking so much about the ninth man on the roster? Good question. Normally, I feel that way. Grant is like the seventh or eighth guy on the roster. He's a bench guy. How important can he be? It is symptomatic of a team that's not all pulling in the same direction like they were last year. And it's, it's I think, symptomatic of the issues underlying this team like lying just beneath the surface with this team something is off it's been off for a while and I think the Grant Williams thing is where it's coming to a head very publicly with Joe Missoula and the players but normally the eighth guy on the team isn't going to undo it unless unless you're losing faith in your coach or your organization or whatever like trading Christian Vasquez last year for the Red Sox that shouldn't have undone everything he's just like a very average catcher but the team couldn't get out of it last year. And not like Grant got traded, but like the way Christian Vasquez was treated, the Red Sox couldn't get past that. Xander Bogarts and everybody else in that clubhouse couldn't get past it. Vasquez was like their third best hitter last year. Okay, too. but like, but, but Mike, you understand the analogy. I know what you mean, yeah. It's like he's just a guy. He's not anybody special, but the team moped around because of it. And I'm not saying the Celtics should mope around because of Grant effing Williams, but I kind of wonder if that's symptomatic of what's going on. It's an example of what's going on. Yeah, to me it goes back to... Last year, too. And I think there must be a little bit of a mental split in this team of things were working out so much at this time last year. Things were going so well for us. We went on this incredible tear with this defensive identity that we had. Grant was a big part of it. Obviously, Rob Williams was at the center of it. Rob is supposed to be traveling with this injury now and get getting back into the lineup. But Grant was a big part of those playoffs. So you can say, like, oh, well, he's a role player. Who cares? The role players matter. And all you have to do is look at the finals last year to understand how much they can make or break cool. on the margins when you're playing for a championship. Go back to last year, too. We were all laughing at Blake Griffin when he got in for the Nets in, like, game four, the final game, and the yeah. Nets about to get swept. Now he's your first big off the bench. So, like, think about that. As a Celtics fan watching the Nets last year, mocking them and laughing at my Brooklyn Nets, Blake Griffin was like a break glass in case of emergency guy on a team that was about to get swept. Now he's your first big off the bench. That feels problematic. By the way, kind of flying under the radar, um, like, I only just barely mentioned this in the column I wrote last night. Mike Muscala? Yeah, he's just done now. Barely, but like, yeah. so what about the trade deadline now? Like, how do we feel about that now? The trade, the trade deadline stunk. <laughs> because Mike Muscala essentially got the most garbage of garbage time last night. He was in for the last two minutes, and he's the guy who was supposed to be the shooting big. Instead, the lineup that you put out there when you started subbing was uh, Blake Griffin and then putting Sam Hauser back in. J.D. Davidson. Look, Okay, J.D. Davidson was way later. I'm talking about in the first quarter. The trade deadline stunk. We told you this in real time, and I blame the owner for that. I know the owner was talking a big game like, oh, yeah, muscle up, do whatever. 
they wouldn't take on future salary. I blame the owner for that. Maybe Brad could have done a better deal. I blame Wick. Like, I don't think they did enough at the deadline in major part because of Wick. 617-779-7937. Let's hear Joe Missoula after the game because there's more frustration here. And I thought this was exceptionally weird in a season full of oddities from Joe Missoula. I, was the, is the question included in this? Mm-hmm. It is, Ryan, yep. right? So you can, I, and I included it for a reason because I think it's Adam Himmelsbach asking about shot profile. Listen where Missoula takes this. Yeah, I think except for one, maybe two, uh, all your baskets were threes or in the paint. What do you think of just kind of the, the shot profile in general? And what's the key? Ours or theirs? Yours. Yeah. Uh, made baskets, threes and paint. Already confrontational. Um, what do you think of kind of the shot profile and just what's what's kind of the key for you guys in getting those shots? Like what has to go right for that time? I always had a question about like when we shoot a lot of threes and miss, everybody asks me questions, but when we shoot a lot of layups and miss, nobody says anything. How many what? layups we missed today? Okay. Like I don't understand that. Like just because you're close to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. What? And so, like, we missed a lot of layups. And, you know, we have to do a good job making those. And so I thought our shot profile was really good. I thought on that stretch where we didn't shoot the ball well, we we continued to guard. And I thought when we missed layups, we did a decent job of sprinting back in transition. Um, but I've always wondered that. Like, no one asks, like, it's 10 asked. layups tonight. How no. come? I'll ask you right now. What, why are you missing layups? I don't know. That's what I want to find out. <laughs> yeah, you have an answer at the end of the day, but it's like, you know what he legitimately thinks, Mego? He legitimately thinks an open three is the equivalent of a layup. Like, he legitimately thinks that. He's like, well, just because you're closer doesn't mean it's any easier to make. Of course it does. Of course it What do you mean? Of, co- of course it does. That's why we call things a layup. Just because you're closer to the basket doesn't mean it's easier. Uh, what? Of course like it does. Like, people who don't know basketball at all say, oh, well, so-and-so is a layup. It was mean, a layup. It was so easy. Uh, uh, elementary school kids make layups. It's hard to make threes. Hey, How many? How many threes did you make? To, not to keep bringing you know it up. What? I didn't even try for <laughs> How many threes did you make the other day and how many I layups did you make? Me. I know me. I didn't like, even try. Joe Mazzula thinks they're the same. This is like an analytical thing where they think it's the same. It's like an open three because it's worth three points compared to two. It's the exact same shot. It's not the exact same shot. And yes, Malcolm Brogdon blew a bazillion layups last night. He should have made them. I don't know why. It felt like an off night. Sometimes you miss some layups. I would rather, though, keep taking layups when we're not shooting well and you're having an off shooting night, then continue to just bomb away threes when you're not making those. And I don't think that computes with Joe Missoula. Just because you're close to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. It's like he was like itching to bring that up. He was like itching to do that because, again, frustration is bleeding through a little bit for the Celtics. And he's like, see, I told you guys, like a three is just like a layup. But when we miss layups, you guys don't bring that up. No, 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 no. They asked you about shot profile because you're constantly talking about threes. That's you who's constantly bringing it up. It's the most important thing in basketball. And yes, layups are easier than threes. I don't know how you're a coach in the NBA and don't think that. Like, that's mind boggling. In the moment, I was, first of all, very uncomfortable comfortable and all right you were there just, yeah i kind of like i just i want to melt into a puddle on the floor when those kind of interactions when happen we shoot a lot of threes just, and miss everybody too, asks me questions it's but when too we shoot awkward it's like miss, it's like the air in the room starts compressing with awkwardness and nobody talks because nobody everybody breathes. except the person talking knows that this is crap and this is not an well, acceptable but here's answer the other thing because everyone's thinking the same thing is that the coaching points that you bring up post game Every single game is three pointers. Like right. you bring it up. He's the one who brings you it up. Bring I it agree. Up. It's your co- coaching philosophy. It's you insanity. You talk about it. You talk about the math behind it and the analytics and everything. And then you're like, "Why are you asking me about this?" It's very weird. It would be like if I went out there and was like, 
God, why do people keep asking me about my husky, right. about my dog? It's like, because I talk about my dog every day. I post pictures of my dog every day. Arkan, you're a shooter. Where would you rather shoot from? Uh, the, the block? Or would you rather shoot from beyond the arc? Well, me personally, I can shoot from anywhere. But uh, the Celtics missed 31 three-pointers last uh-huh. night. They missed seven layups, which is a lot of layups to miss. They missed 31 out of 49 three-pointers. They took 49 three-pointers. Like, what... That, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you did miss a lot of layups, Joe. I guess you can you can say that. Maybe we should ask you more questions about why you're not doing the mic and drill in uh, in practice. But you missed nice. 31 three pointers, and that was a pretty good shooting night overall. They shot what 37 percent? Like that's, that's not fine. a terrible number. No. And they still missed 31 of them. So like, what are we what are we talking about here? Like he just legitimately <laughs> thinks that, or the organization believes that, and he's just the embodiment of it. Like Brad. And Mike Zarin and everybody organizationally just believes that, and it's the been drilled. The three-point attempt rate is the most important stat right. in the game of so basketball. So, like, he brings up the three-point rate. He's the one, and so they ask you about threes, Joe, because you're the one who keeps bringing that it up. That was two days ago, right? That was that was uh, well, or was wow. that at, when was that? It was after the Monday game. Was that after the Cleveland game? Okay, I can't uh, remember. No, I'm sorry. After the, next, after the game. next game. Sorry, whatever. It was it was recently. It's like, why do we ask you about it? That's why. And because we expect guys to make layups, like that that feels fluky when guys are missing layups and we put that on the players. Like every coach I would imagine, except you, wants their players shooting layups. Not everybody's organizational philosophy, although most teams in the NBA now, but not everybody's, is to just bomb away from three and keep bombing away from three. And when you miss, keep bombing away from three. Like, it's easier to make a shot from two feet away than 25 feet away, 23 feet away. It just, just because is. you're close to the basket nope, means easier I'm, to I'm so, I know I'm the hot take artist, <laughs> but that, that might be the hottest take I've ever heard. Like, honestly, people get on me for hot takes. That might be the hottest take I've ever heard. It's easier to shoot from farther away than closer. Insane is what that is. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I mean, is there any explanation to that besides the that he's so married to these analytics? Um... More likely to be contested under the basket, maybe, is a, is a way that you could spin this if I was trying to do that. If my job yeah, was to try and explain like this, they, I would say. They had incredible rim protection last night. Well, I no, mean, the, but the, the, the layups that I saw Tatum smoke a couple. Okay, I'm not talking about the game in. last night. I'm talking about in, in general, general, in a vacuum, when you say it's not as easy to score underneath the basket. If you're as, going up against the same, yes. Then, yeah, tougher. against any, but there's going to be more traffic in the lane, maybe, than a hand in your face out on the three point line, I guess. But that's that's it. That's the only thing I could possibly. Yeah, and like with. maybe if you wanted to explain it on an individual basis, like Sam Hauser, I don't need Sam Hauser driving into the lane and trying to to finish layups and traffic. I, I need that. Okay, so I don't need that. Maybe, I need to see him. Maybe doing. I'd rather have Sam Hauser shooting threes. But like Tatum, Brown, Smart, Brogdon, like all of, and I know Brogdon shot threes at an incredible clip this year. I want them all shooting layups if they can get it. I want them all shooting closer to the hoop. Barring, like, situational things, just in general, that's what I want. That's what you should want. It's crazy that's not what he wants, but he doesn't want it. And to sit there and be like, how come you guys don't ask me about this? You want us to come in and ask about missed layups? When would every anybody in the press ever ask about, oh, you guys missed a lot of layups tonight. What happened with that? I don't well, think you would ever hear that question. Well, I mean, that, that has happened once or twice where it's like, but it, it, you ask that question because it's an astounding amount where you're like, is this a conditioning issue? What's going on with you guys? Because it's so bizarre. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that would be my question ever. Going in and saying, boy, guys, you really you really missed a lot of layups. What, what's up with that? I don't know. It feels flukier than anything. Well, is what as it you feels know, like. layups are very, very difficult. So that's why in in human <laughs> parlance, you go when something is a layup. Oh my God, you're gonna have a tough time doing it. Crazy. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. You want to jump in on the Celtics? You can. We'll get to your feedback there. But 
I want to revisit something with Bill Belichick. This came out a couple of years ago. Bill Belichick's scouting report on what he looks for in a quarterback. This came out from Daniel Jeremiah a few years ago from Belichick's Cleveland days. How much has it evolved? Should it evolve? Does Bill need to evolve at quarterback? We'll get to all that next. Jones and Mako return after this on WEEI. Now back to Jones and Mego. I don't know how else to talk about it because I'm sick. On WEEI. The Patriots have two young quarterbacks on their roster who will have a chance to develop under Bill O'Brien in 2023. But if they're looking for a third, what will they be looking for? Belichick has typically selected quarterbacks who played in Power 5 conferences and stood taller than six foot two, and he's exclusively drafted quarterbacks who have spent at least four years in college, even if they didn't have four years of playing experience. Belichick also seems to want a two-to-one touchdown, interception ratio, a yards per attempt figure of 7.5 or better, a completion percentage of 60 or better, and at least 800 pass attempts under their belts. Phil Perry, who does excellent draft work, excellent work in general over at NBC Sports Boston, as beginning his prototypical Patriots series, which is certainly worth following in draft season. He put the quarterbacks under a microscope where he goes through all that criteria that he just detailed and, well, tells you which quarterbacks fit, which quarterbacks don't, gives you a better idea on who the Patriots could be looking at. And it's Jones and Mego with Arcan here on WEEI. Makes you wonder, just real quick, where the hell Billy Zappi came from in the draft. Uh, It's true. Bailey Zappi is uh, outside of their uh, prototypical... Uh, frame. He's shorter than they'd like, for sure. Uh, we'll get back to your phone call. Six one seven conferences as well. Seven seven nine seven ninety three seven. Well, he played. That's true. His last year, he didn't play at a major conference either. But that's not the first time Bill's done that. No, I'm just saying. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo. Uh, O'Connell. He's like X. you know, didn't know, didn't always do it, but generally, it's a good shorthand for it. And so Phil had an accompanying column with this that I found interesting. Uh, he writes for more context on what Belichick has looked for at the position. It's also worth noting what he told Brown scouts back in the 90s when he was establishing his program there. And this came out a couple of years ago. Daniel Jeremiah, uh, in a tweet, put out a Cleveland scouts notes that was shared at like some coaching clinic. Jeremiah is a former, former scout. He's now a draft guru over at NFL Network. And uh, these were shared among scouts, and then Jeremiah tweeted it out. So we know all the criteria that Bill was looking for in the 90s. How much do we think this has changed? And how much should... Bill have evolved when it comes to the quarterback position. We're talking about, again, like 91 to 95. Is that when he was the coach? 90 to 94, 91 to 95. I think it was. It should have evolved a little bit. The position has changed quite a bit the from ga- 1991. Okay. Well, you listen to this and ask mm-hmm. yourself how much this has changed. Number one is to make good decisions. Then arm, size, physical, uh, physically tough, leadership, guys look up to and have confidence in. The notes read. This is, this is probably how Bill was teaching it at the time with NFL Films Music. A real competitor, accurate, rather than a guy with a cannon. Emphasis on our game will be on decision, timing, and accuracy. Guy needs to be confident. Intelligence is important, but not as much so as field awareness and judgment. You can't be sloppy fundamentally unsound with ball handling. Footwork, drops, release, etc. Can't be sloppy with any of it. Quarterback has to be able to throw the ball with accuracy. So how many times do we hear decision-making accuracy? Accuracy, decision-making, blah, blah, blah. Phil writes, nothing there about athleticism or mobility or making the first pass rusher miss, which is why you won't see Florida's Anthony Richardson on this list. And by the way, Anthony Richardson, 
in the mix to be the number one overall draft pick. And if you think he could go number one overall, probably want to, uh, Mego, I know you're a fan of this term, wet your beak a little bit now (laughs) before the odds increase too much. And mobile sports betting is coming to Massachusetts this Friday, March 10th, tomorrow. Before you place that first bet, you got to check out BetQL. BetQL gives you the best sign-up offers from each of the sports books to make your money go further. Text BET to 37937 for a link to a special page for Massachusetts sports bettors. That's BET to 37937. Message and data rates may apply. So he crosses off Anthony Richardson right then and there. He's a career 55% passer, 54.7, with a touchdown-to-interception ratio of less than two. He is not a prototypical Patriot, writes Phil. And we don't need to go on a whole Anthony Richardson uh, tangent or even team feet. We don't even need to go there. How much do you think Bill has evolved in his view on quarterbacks from 1991, 1995, whatever year that was shared, his Cleveland days, how much do you think he's evolved at that spot? Because to me, it doesn't feel like much. It sounds like slightly, but also he hasn't had, as of the last two decades, a whole lot of cause to evolve. Like he hasn't had to, you know, he he definitely stayed in it looking at particularly Jimmy Garoppolo and who was maybe eventually going to be the um, the the heir apparent. apparent for Tom Brady. But he had the luxury of not having to be in this world and in the draft constantly looking for this in a really meaningful way. Like, hey, this guy's going to have to be play, be ready to play in the next two years. And so that luxury, it seems like, has left him a little stunted. Because how often do we hear about he cannot abide by turning over the ball? He cannot abide by throwing picks. It's just not his style. And it seems like that is... That goes back to that list. Does it seem like he's evolved at all, Arkan? Um, no, and I think for the reasons Megan stated, on top of the fact he's old. And old guys, especially old successful guys, find something that works, and they stick with it, and they don't change for anything because it works so well for them. And I kind of get that. You get to Bill's age, and learning new tricks isn't really part of the part of the discussion, you know? I mean, I'm sorry. like that's, And I still think you can win in the NFL with a stationary quarterback who makes good decisions. I don't think that that's a crazy thing, but... You also want to maybe explore the op- the uh, the options of, of trying it another way, and I don't think that that's really thought, anything that Bill's interested well, in. Uh, even even not even, sorry, just n- not even delving into the mobile quarterback territory that we've been in a lot the last couple of days. How about the idea that the quarterback doesn't need a cannon, doesn't right? need a crazy strong arm? He just needs to be able to be accurate. He needs to be able to be a consistent peace shooter. Maybe. Yeah, I don't. Look, I don't need Bledsoe. Like, when I think of, like, cannon arm, I think of, like, Drew Bledsoe or, like, you know, Cutler or somebody like that. But what you do need is a guy who can throw on the run and a guy who can throw off platform. And I think that all ties into mobility, and I don't think Bill's been malleable at all. That's something you hear all the time. Well, Bill Bill will change. He'll change his coaching philosophies. He'll adapt. I don't think he's adapted at the most important position on the field. And Mego, Arkan, your points are right. He didn't have to do it for a long time. Now he has to do it. Like, now he's got to find the next guy anyway. And I would like to think there's been some movement at quarterback with Bill Belichick. And it just doesn't feel that way. What do you guys think? Has he evolved? Should he evolve? 617-779-7937. I want to play something here for you that will tie into the quarterback position. And, Ryan, can we uh, get Chris Curtis from this morning? Because this does tie into... Well, bringing along a quarterback and the offense this year and what the Patriots are going to do and get back to their roots offensively. 
Chris Curtis shared an interesting detail this morning on the Greg Hill Show. Good morning, guys. I have a little news. I think this is a pretty good scoop. I got uh, this past week, been working on it a bit. Uh, Courtney may be uh, due an apology from the head coach of the New England Patriots because if you recall, during our Monday morning interviews, Courtney asked if Bill Belichick had spoken to Bill O'Brien about the offensive coordinator position, and he basically laughed at it, said I haven't talked to him in I don't know how long. Well, according to the people I've spoken to in Indianapolis, Bill Belichick hired Bill O'Brien as early as November and as late as December in the second half of this Patriots season. Wow. He was hired before the season concluded to replace Patricia as the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, a bit of a bombshell there from Chris. Hired, uh, you know, I, I don't know how literally he meant that word. Hired means like it's agreed to it's signed it's written it's set in stone you, you have a contract that feels a, a little strong to me i'm not saying it's impossible but like the idea that they had at least a handshake agreement with bill belichick uh sorry bill o'brien in the middle of last season i don't find that crazy i i find that i find that plausible i don't know who curtis's source is i would say it contradicts everything i've heard Okay. In terms of how last so, season went, with so you're Bill reporting Bray. differently. I'm not reporting anything. I'm you're just, just you're, saying you're hearing differently. I'm saying I've heard nearly the opposite that there was not. You know, of course, these two have history together, Bill O'Brien and uh, Bill Belichick, and I think it was uh, it was obvious to everyone that Bill O'Brien wanted to come back to New England. And that that this was the natural landing spot for him, and that there was this huge area of need. But Bill O'Brien had a contract in place with Nick Saban, who's one of Bill Belichick's best friends. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised. O'Brien wants to get back to the NFL. He wanted to get away from Alabama. Uh, there might be a way to do this behind Nick Saban's back, which if Saban ever found out about it, then maybe you're crossing Nick Saban. But I, I think Bill's desperate, meaning Bill Belichick. He should be desperate. you got to get things figured out this year. We talk about a make-or-break year for Mac Jones. It's a make-or-break year for Bill. In my estimation, he should have been on the hot seat last year. He's lucky to survive it. He's back on it this year. So he's desperate. He wanted to get his ducks in a row. And didn't we hear late last year that Patricia was being phased out and Judge were being phased out and Bill was being more hands-on? Yeah, the Herald reported that. That does align with, again, lining lining things up for next season. There's a lot of people putting information out there right now, and especially around the Combine. We all know Combine is gossip central. So I'm not saying that... Nine truly's deep, as Tom Kerr put it. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that there aren't people close to the situation who are saying this, and maybe it is true. It's just... Very contradictory to anything that I've heard on in that landscape. It's interesting. Hired. He said hired. Hired, hired is probably not not. If he hired. was hired, that implies that he was the offensive coordinator for the second half well, of the year, sure. and I didn't see him there. So. Hired means he's on the payroll. That yeah. feels a little strong. But like November, I, I, well, he said December. This November or December, a handshake agreement, an agreement in place or in principle between the two bills, O'Brien and Belichick. I find that plausible. What do you guys I think? I don't even know if there was contact. I know, I know Bill, Bill Belichick said that in the morning show interview, and they don't believe him. I just, it, 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 I have no idea who Chris Curtis's source is. It's just not what I've heard. Okay. Well, I, I find that to be plausible. Bill needed to, to, to write the ship after last year. 617-779-7937. What do we make guys. We'll continue expanding on it. And, uh, well, I do think there was big news in the coaching world yesterday. That is a cautionary tale for your head coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick. We'll get to it next.